Welcome to the manor. Welcome back to the Twin Terrors Macabre Manor. That was right, right? Damn it. <laughs> that was right. Shit. I was wondering why you paused. Actually, I was expecting you to pause, even if you had it right. And <laughs> Damn it. And then you paused, and I was like, why is he pausing? He was getting it right. And then, yeah. <laughs> Son of a bitch. All right. <clears throat> Welcome back to the Twin Terrors Macabre Manor of Mead, Metal, and Mayhem. I'm James. And I'm Jody. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Just, let's let's ignore what happened before we started and move on with our topic. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Okay, okay, okay. Are you ready? You ready? Listen I'm ready. to the li- listen to this. cool oh that man that is so kick you know how kick ass that is that's so kick ass even eddie van halen said that's one of his best famous most awesomest guitar licks ever sweet i didn't know that no van halen oh yeah true (laughs) cool i didn't know that (laughs) i was able to fit that in without having the shoehorn more or less you you were (laughs) very nice (laughs) thanks (laughs) It's not often when I do the color commentary part that I actually do something decent. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you're not familiar with that uh, with that riff, uh, that is the opening to the title track to the Deep Purple album "Burn," the first album recorded by the Mark III lineup. <laughs> As you probably already guessed from the title of this episode, that is the, the subject of our episode this time. Sorry, burn on you! <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I think I need a whole bottle of aloe lotion. <laughs> <laughs> that riff burned so bad that you do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That lick was so hot. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not even drinking yet. Yeah, I was going to say, before we get into this, do you want to talk about what you're drinking? Or going yeah, to? sure. Okay. I, I am. I, I poured it. I just haven't tried it, uh, had it yet. Well, today I've had it. This, you know, not right now. Our, uh, one of our images for the podcast is a picture of the Hobbit by a big skull at a brewing company. Uh, and that company is Scarlet Lane, uh, close to Indianapolis, out of McCordsville. And they've opened back up. So I've gone there a couple times. Uh, not what I'm drinking, but they actually made a Sammy Terry inspired beer. Oh, yeah. That was quite good. They have made a, I, I didn't think I'd ever try a hard seltzer, but they had one that was used with local honey. So it's kind of like a sparkling mead that kicks ass. Cool, cool. And I brought home uh, Dorian is their stout, and they do variants all the time. And I brought home their espresso stout, which is what I am going to be imbibing here momentarily. A nice, earthy, coffee Malty, roasty, dark stout. Nice. Those are the, yeah. Those are good. The How about you? Um, I'm I uh, I've, I've gone to one of our favorites. I'm um, I'm, I'm going to be Malort? sipping on uh, yeah I'm going to be sipping on Lord. <laughs> yes, my Lord. Uh, yeah. Ooh yeah, that's some good stuff. Hmm. Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, so Deep Purple's Burn album. 
so my notes for this, my, my notes, not James's notes, because he did his own notes. James does have notes this time for a change. Yay! You know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, I don't know why I'm saying yay, because usually when you do an episode, I don't always have notes. <laughs> that is true, but you usually kind of still know what we're talking about. On Deep Purple, eh, not so much for me. Yeah. Um, so I, I have my reasons that we'll get into maybe in a little bit about why. Okay. Okay. Because it has to do with this album. Yeah, sweet. No, wait, Deep Purple. Deep Purple. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so my, my notes for this came from the uh, liner notes uh, to the 30th, 30th anniversary release of uh, the album. Uh, these, uh, the, the liner notes were written by Nigel Young. So um, getting back into it, when last we left off, it was 1973, and the very successful Mark II lineup of Deep Purple was falling apart. Womp womp. Uh, in December of the previous year, singer Ian Gillen had announced his intentions to leave the band due to conflict within the band, particularly with guitarist Richie Blackmore. <gasps> no, not Richie. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so uh, while, uh, while the band was committed to finishing the tour for their album, Who Do We Think We Are?, uh, it looked like looked like purple might be ceasing to be altogether. <laughs> it's like a Norwegian blue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ceased to be. <laughs> Singing with the choir invisible, pushing up daisies. <laughs> you had to nail their feet to the stage. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, I was, I, uh, I, so I finished watching uh, uh, Monty Python's Flying Circus, all four series. And, uh, so I'm looking to get it on Blu-ray, and I realized they, they had a pun in the name of the box set they released of the of, of the Blu-ray because it's it's all HD remastered and and uh, stuff that got cut out. Which actually, watching it on Netflix, uh, the stuff that apparently got cut out by the BBC was put back in. I thought so. I thought I'd seen that. Yeah. So, um, but I was looking at getting that box set that they put out that had all four series on it. And I, I realized that they they called it the Norwegian Blu-ray edition. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> I was like, uh, oh, that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> um, so, uh, and so anyway, uh, Deep Purple. Um, uh, organist John Lord uh, had been making plans to form a band uh, with a friend of his named Tony Ashton. And I didn't I didn't go back and, and, and uh, re-listen to this. I do have this. I have one of the albums. I don't know if they made more than one, but I do have one. It was pretty good. I, I remember listening to it and, and, and I liked it. I just, um, it's on vinyl and I haven't converted it to digital yet. So I've, I've only really listened to it like the once or twice, but it is it's pretty good. It's, it's, it was called, I believe it was called Ashton Lord. If uh, you get a chance to check that out. I do was, the, it. was that first to the big bands? Was that the name of the? Yes. Yes. So yeah, it's it's that was it's a pretty good album, you know. Like I said, if you get a chance to check that out, Richie Blackmore was still talking about doing an album with Deep Purple drummer Ian Pace and Thin Lizzy bassist uh, Phil Lynott. Only now it was going to be an actual band to be called Babyface, and Blackmore was even dropping hints that he wanted Paul Rogers from the band Free as the vocalist. And what did Deep Purple bassist Roger Glover have planned? Ooh ooh ooh, um. 
Well, I don't know what he had planned, <laughs> except maybe staying with the band until they told him to get the fuck out. Well, yeah, that's, that's kind of it. <laughs> <laughs> but I know he actually ended up doing a lot of work for the, the record company still in production and producing. So, you know, he, he did. He did, actually, yes. Deep Purple's management was not keen on the band breaking up, obviously, because you know, it was kind of their cash cow. So at the time, they approached Roger Glover and, and John Lord about carrying on with three new members. After agreeing to try, they talked to Ian Pace about it, and he said he'd think about staying. Sometime later, after the European leg of the Who Do We Think We Are tour, Pace and Lord caught a show in London by a band named Trapeze, uh, featuring... Ooh, ooh. Sorry, go ahead. No, no. <laughs> uh, if you got something, go ahead. <laughs> no, no. I've got things about the person you're going to talk about. Oh, okay. Well, Trapeze featured uh, singer bassist Glenn Hughes. Now, his background was uh, it was rock, but it was also it also included R and B and funk. A little bit later, during the American leg of the tour, Pace Lord and Blackmore caught another Trapeze performance, and during a break in the U.S. tour. Ian Pace and John Lord went back to London and saw Trapeze again. This time they asked Glenn Hughes if he'd be interested in joining Deep Purple. Yeah, I guess the story is that he saw them out in the crowd and they're like, oh, cool, they're fans. Uh, oh, oh, what you want, you want me to what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and initially, because Trapeze was, was doing kind of kind of well, he, he turned them down, but then everybody wound up back in the States and he caught a Deep Purple gig in New York and he decided to accept their offer. Probably a wise move that he accepted the offer. Yeah. In the last episode we did on Deep Purple, we mentioned how Richie Blackmore had agreed to stay in the band on the condition that, in addition to Ian Gillen leaving, that they also fire Roger Glover. <laughs> what James said was he decided he had stayed in the band until they were you know, going to tell him to leave. Um, he actually figured out something was up, uh, Glover did, and confronted management about it. And when he was told that Blackmore wanted him gone, he said he told management, I'm not going to get pushed out. I'll leave. But according to the liner notes, Blackmore felt the band had become stagnant and wanted change, plus claimed he was coming up with 80% of the material, but was having to split credit with all the other members of the band. So I, I got a little personal interjection to put here. Oh, I've got one too. There goes that note. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I call bullshit on Blackmore's claim. Oh, yeah. I, everything you said, they all like jammed together and worked out yeah. songs all at the same time. Even if Blackmore came in with riffs, it wasn't yeah. just, you know. Yeah. I didn't think there was anything stagnant about the Who Do We Think We Are album. Okay, it wasn't as good as Machine Head, but I mean, let's be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm a big Deep Purple fan. They've never put out anything as good as Machine Head since. They've put out a lot of good albums. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's going to be something I discuss here soon. <laughs> okay. Um, well, yeah. So, so, so I didn't think there was anything stagnant on record, or on you know on on recordings, but live stuff may be different. I don't know. And and there are distinct differences between all of the different lineups the band has had. Mark one doesn't sound anything like Mark two. Mark two and Mark three don't sound the same. Mark three and Mark four don't sound the same. You know. So. I it, it just it bothers me that he he tries to do that, and, and you would you would think that if somebody is if if one person in the band is the one who's coming up with eighty percent of the material, you'd think most of the material would sound 
similar. But, right. yeah. you know, through all these different lineup changes, they've all sounded different. But yeah, he was coming up with 80% of the material and it was stagnant. Well, then who should that be on? <laughs> I, I mean, if you're, if you're stagnant, but you're coming up with 80% of the material. You're assuming that there's a logical yeah, connection. I know. Well, see, that's why I call <laughs> bullshit on the whole thing. I, I, mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Richie Blackmore. I mean, the guy's a great guitarist, but apparently he's really hard to work with. <laughs> so I, um, you, you said how he wanted to get a band together with Paul Rogers. Yeah. They, they also tried to get Paul Rogers to join Deep Purple for the Mark III lineup. Yeah. Uh, and and I, you may have more on this, but my little thing is just simply that first Paul wanted to go off and he was leaving free and forming Bad Company at this time. Uh, but rumors are that Paul was as much of a control freak as Richie. And he said, hell no. <laughs> I can actually believe that. So, so near the end of the tour for Who Do We Think We Are, it started to leak out that Gillen and Glover were going to be leaving the band. And like you just said, that Paul Rogers, it wasn't leaking out that Paul Rogers had been invited to join as the singer. It was leaking out that he was going to join the band, except <laughs> like, like you said, uh, Paul Rogers hadn't agreed to join yet. He, he had, apparently he had told him he would talk to them about it. And that's as far as he was ready to go. But because it leaked out that he was joining, he decided to decline. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> Screw you guys. <laughs> yeah, 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 like you said. Yeah, so um, and initially, uh, yeah, well, like you said, it, it eventually it turned into bad company. I think, according to the liner notes, initially he was reforming free, but it, it, yeah, it did. It wound up turning into bad company. And, and if you haven't listened to bad company, I don't know that we'll really do many episodes on them, but a, a great band check them out if you haven't you know yes check them out but that doesn't mean you have to get on the bus with them heather <laughs> melissa <laughs> yeah yeah moving on <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> so uh so they considered keeping the band just a four-piece with glenn hughes coming in and filling roles of both singer and bassist because he was you know, used to doing that in trapeze, but the other three were intrigued by the thought of having two singers. So they, they actually continued to search for a vocalist. Now, Glenn Hughes, actually, he talked about this in a, in a, in a DVD that, I, that I've got. He, and I, I didn't, I actually didn't go back and watch it, but if I remember it correctly, he, he talked about this when he joined the band and he actually just wanted to join as a singer. He didn't want to play bass at all. He <laughs> He was, he would have been fine with keeping Roger Glover or hiring somebody else to play the bass, but apparently <laughs> the other three had other ideas. Enter one, David Coverdale. Ooh, ooh. Can, can I, can I say a quote from Blackmore? Yes. Go ahead. It, it, it sort of connects what you have said and what you're about to say, I think. Okay. I can't speak for the others. I don't know how they feel about it, but I was tired of the vocal sound of it. So maybe he was tired of the vocal sound, you know. Yeah, that could be. That could be. Um, so the others said they agreed. We all got together, and Ian said he wanted to resign. We thought that was fair enough because this this was their chance to get a new vocalist. Not sure how much was all agreed on, but anyway. Right. Uh, but then Blackmore admitted that he wanted to quit before Coverdale and he's joined. We just progressed naturally. We haven't tried to set any barriers because we're not into that. I've just been living on and playing the music I want to. I wouldn't stay in the band if I wasn't satisfied with myself. <laughs> satisfied with himself okay yep. and uh that he blamed the malaise squarely uh 
raised feet, said I wanted to leave because I didn't think the vocal side of it was happening at all. It was quite nice, but it was too poppy. Now, it's more into a blues commercial pop thing and talking about the new singer you're about to talk about. He said, our new singer has a more masculine voice. And with Glenn, we hope to get a double type of feel. Which they, yeah, they, they did. I don't know that I would say that Coverdale sounds more masculine. He's different. He's different. He's not, I mean, he, he and Ian Gillen are not similar vocalists at all. Now, I went back and listened to some of his pre-Deep Purple stuff, and Coverdale has a, a gritty, masculine feel. Yeah, I, I he, he does. He can, he can, he, he's, he does. I, I will say that. I, I won't you know, like I said, I don't, I don't know that I would necessarily say it's more masculine than Ian Gillen's, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, but no, he, he does. You're right. And, and he can, you know, I don't want to say he, he can sing a baritone, but he can, he can get low, deep, you know, kind of a, a voice that might make women um, a, a little damp between certain areas. Anyway. Might, might make women enthralled and enchanted by his masculine operatic that's a yeah that's it no that's a that's a better way that's that's better than what i was trying to say (laughs) Um, yeah yeah Uh, so so david coverdale had been uh, knocking around england with different bands for a few years uh mostly in the northeast section of the country and uh, according to him uh, as relayed through the liner notes in 1969 when his band the government played a gig at Bradford University with Deep Purple shortly after the formation of the Mark 10 up. John Lord approached him, said he was impressed, and asked for his number in case it didn't work out with Ian Gillen. Four years later in 1973, he said, I saw an ad in Melody Maker. It said that Deep Purple were still looking for a singer and were considering unknowns. As I was considerably unknown, I thought I'd go for it. (laughs) There's I've heard those same two exact stories, except I've also heard that they knew because they knew him, um, they saw him with the government and they opened on the same bill in 1969 Mm -hmm. that they're familiar with each other, that they just reached out to him alone and didn't actually put out (laughs) any, any audition requests or anything. So I, I do think the Melody Maker had those right because I've sat more often than any of the others. Yeah, and that because um, uh, I was thinking in the liner notes, I didn't put it, I didn't put this note, but I was thinking the liner notes said that they had actually, that they had actually listened to other tapes. Um, he sent a tape in. Uh, it was an audition tape he had recorded with a band called the Fabulous Brothers, and uh, he, they said it got their attention. Um, although maybe not completely for the right reasons. Uh, According to John Lord, one day we put on the one that David had sent in, and the first thing that hit us was the tone of his voice, and the second thing was that he'd done that Nilsson song, Everybody's Talking, and he'd hardly once used the tune. It was a pretty badly produced tape, apparently from a drunken session, but I put it on, turned it up, and got goose pimples. We couldn't believe it. So they invited him down for an audition in August 1973. Ooh, real quick. Yeah. I wasn't sure if um, also in that audition, you had to send in a photo. And uh-huh. the only photo that he had, that he had to get from his mom was when he was a Boy Scout. <laughs> I so, did not know that. So he sent in, a, <laughs> yep, sent in a picture of himself in the little Scout uniform 
And evidently, uh, so the you know, here, I'm, I'm going to go and interject my thing. If you need me to move it, I can wait. Uh, just tell me to, to hold on. But no, go ahead. he was also chunky at the time. Uh, he, he was not the thin David Coverdale. So uh, no, no, this will wait. Uh, I'll just say that I'll just say that that'll lead into something else. One of us will talk about soon. He he was not thin yet. Um, no, that's I do have a, a note about um, something about that. So <laughs> yeah. Um, Oh, and also the mm -hmm. band, the government, mm -hmm. you know, they, they were, I forget the name of the band before that. They chose that name because of the government uh, warnings on cigarette labels. They, they, when they started putting them on at this time of oh, okay. the world, they said, the government warns you that smoking can whatever. And one of the guys in the band said, oh, we got to call ourselves the government now. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that. That's pretty funny. Uh so they uh, so they invited him down for an audition in August of '73, uh, a session that lasted for six hours of mostly old rock and roll songs, and decided while having drinks that night after the audition to hire him. Only he wasn't there with them, <laughs> and they didn't immediately tell him. He didn't know he had the job until a week later when management called him. I heard that they, they actually gave him some money because he didn't dress very well either. Said, here's some money. Go get some nicer clothes. So he went away and it was a week later. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, So I, I do have notes on Glenn Hughes and David Coverdale, what they're doing a little bit like before the yeah. purple. You want me to wait? Uh, no, 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 no. Go ahead. If you want to put that in now, that, that, that'd be fine. Okay, cool. So Glenn Hughes, uh, these are just some things I thought were really neat. So Jody has mentioned Gene and Paul and from Kiss, their Beatles moment where they were watching the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. Mm -hmm. That's what got Glenn Hughes going. Had the, had the same type of thing when he saw the Beatles. And uh, honestly, I don't know if it's the uh, Ed Sullivan show because, you know, Glenn's actually from England. Yeah, I was um, going to say, I don't uh, think it was, but. Yeah, but the Beatles are the one that, that really got him into music. But he's also into doo-wop. He, uh, his first band that he uh, was in was called the Hooker Lees, named after John Lee Hooker. Oh, nice. Uh, joined them in 64 before they changed their name to the Intruders. And uh, during his time in Trapeze, when they're playing out, there's a time where a young drummer by the name of John Bonham yeah. was watching them. And he liked the song Medusa so much that he went and took over the drums and it ended up being like a 15-minute jam song <laughs> of its usual time. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> yep. And uh, before I go into Coverdale, last thing about Hughes that I have before Deep Purple mm -hmm. is that he had the chance to join ELO, the Electric Light Orchestra, as well. Oh, okay. And cool. uh, heard the story two ways that there's at the same time and he turned them down to join Deep Purple or that he had already been offered and turned them down and then a bit later was offered Deep Purple. Ah, Cool. Yeah, that one, I, I didn't know about the yellow thing. Actually, I really didn't know any of that, but that's that's okay. <laughs> uh, let's see, uh, Coverdale. Uh, so when he was singing, auditioning for Deep Purple, uh, went through some songs, thought he was great, but Richie asked him, well, what about ballads? Is there a ballad you'd like to try? And he chose the Beatles yesterday, and he's pretty sure that that is what got him the job. I could see that. I've not heard him do that. I've heard him do... Um, Oh, crap. I've heard him do a Beatles song. Uh, the first White Snake album had a Beatles cover on it, and I don't remember what it was. I don't either. Yeah. Eh, I could look ah. it up. 
Uh, well, um, I just going to say a couple other things. Uh, could look things will wait. Oh, guy could. <laughs> I started to and I decided, uh, fuck it. <laughs> so the newly formed Mark III lineup started writing and rehearsing material in September of 1973 at Clearwell Castle in Gloucestershire. Um, <laughs> I'm assuming I pronounced Gloucestershire right. <laughs> I'm not, sure it's not Gloucestershire. Yeah, that could be it. I think you're Gloucester right. to us is pronounced, um, yeah, uh, Gloucester, which is my Scottish accent for when they want to make fun of the English. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. I do have a note on the castle thing, but I'm going to wait till you're ready for me to get it. Okay. Um, well, no, 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 no. If you uh, if you got something, because that's really all I was going to say about the castle. I think. Okay, so when they went there to rehearse, mm -hmm. uh, I think you'd mentioned in a previous episode about, uh, I don't know, I know you'd mentioned about some of the guys in Kiss sort of having sense of humor and playing some jokes on each other. Yeah. I don't know if you mentioned that Richie Blackmore was also known as a prankster. <laughs> I think I know what you're going to say. I, I, I left the story out, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so, I mean, in a previous uh, one, we could have talked about him breaking through a door with an axe, but the, yeah. anyway, in this particular instance, he had got there and put speakers in Glenn Hughes' room and like at the closets and stuff. Uh -huh. So when Glenn would try to sleep at night, Richie would make ghost noises through the speakers to make him think it was haunted. <laughs> yep. <sighs> so uh, later that month, um, September, they held a press conference to announce the new lineup with uh, Richie Blackmore saying, probably in three years time, the band will have a reshuffle again. Maybe David and Glenn will be getting in new members. Uh, a little foreshadowing, it'll be sooner than that. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I have something about their, their picture when they announced their new people. Oh, okay, yeah. When, when, they, put the, when, when they put the picture out with the new guys, mm -hmm. um, their previous albums were still high on the charts yeah. and doing really, really well. And they were talking about how Deep Purple is like the biggest band in the world and, and this album's here and this album's here and this album's here. And Roger is looking at the pictures going, those fuckers were in the band when we did that. <laughs> I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. But. <laughs> yeah. I understand. So, um, so you had... <laughs> You had you had talked about earlier where where Richie talked about um, Ian Gillen. It's how it's how, they, how the band was starting to sound too poppy, and blah blah blah. He what he what he'd said part of what he'd said in there was he wasn't going to criticize the former vocalist, and then turned around and criticized him. That, that seems right. Yeah. Um, so so apparently while the band liked David Coverdale's vocals, uh, it, it, you've mentioned this about his clothes. Uh, they wanted to improve his image. Um, so, so, so in addition to the clothes, they, uh, had him get contact lenses instead of glasses. Oh yeah. Yeah. Those big old yeah. <laughs> car headlight glasses going on. Yep. Um, a change in diet to clear up his acne and also to help him lose some weight. Which, which included diet pills. If you yeah. can hear the air quotes, speed, uh, speed, uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say, the, the weight loss was also supposed to be helped by giving him slimming pills, or as we say now, amphetamines. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. 
I mean, it did. He almost, almost broke down a couple times from all the pressure of being in this famous band and him being an unknown and being on all the speed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but it worked. Yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so work on the new album began in early November at the uh, newly completed convention center in Montreux, Switzerland. Again. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, where they had, you know, they recorded Machine Head in Montreux. Um, and I think, I, I don't remember, I think the convention center was what replaced um, um, the, the place that burned. The place that burned down, yeah. Um, and again, they were working with engineer Martin Birch. And since the songs had pretty much already been worked out in rehearsals, uh, the sessions went quickly. In December of 1973, the band played some warm-up shows in Europe, then started the full tour in late January. Ooh, um, um, ooh, 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 ooh. Sure. I got more. Ooh, Mr. Kata! Mr. All right, Horshack. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, up your nose with the rubber hoe. Um, so, a couple things on the recording. Uh-huh. Ah, you're, Jody's not used to me having this many notes for Deep Purple. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> Damn it. That's okay. I got to I got to pour uh, more Malort here. So go ahead. <laughs> uh, good. Good deal. A uh, few things. And uh, Jody mentioned Martin Birch, who was very helpful to David Coverdale because this is David's first time in a professional studio, and uh, and and Martin was really instrumental in making him feel comfortable and helping him out. And actually a lot of the guys in Deep Purple were very welcoming and, and tried to make him feel at home um, with possibly the, the worst of them being Richie Blackmore. <laughs> <laughs> Shock. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, they, they, as mentioned, they would usually jam a lot to come up with the songs, which is why Jody called bullshit on Richie's 80%, even without the logical fallacy in there of, if you did 80%, why is it stale? Yeah. Uh, but th this is one of the times where, except for the instrumental version, uh, according to the Lord, they actually had worked all the songs out like as actual writing process instead of just jamming. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. Here we go. Um, Glenn, uh, if, if you get the album now, you'll see that Glenn gets credit with writing, you know, most of the, most of the tracks were written by the whole band and all of them get credit except a few. Yeah. But when it was first released, he could not because he was still under contract with Trapeze, mm -hmm. which is just like Robert Plant with the CBS contract we talked about with Zep One. Yeah. But again, like Plant and CBS, Trapeze and, and Glenn Hughes got it all worked out about a year later so he could start getting credit. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite bits is that the album was not recorded but mixed at Ian Gillen's studio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did see that in the liner notes. <laughs> I chuckled. <laughs> hey, hey, Ian, um, you're not a band, but can we use your studio? <laughs> See, and that's, uh, the, that's the thing, though. I mean, um, uh, like you said, when Roger Glover left, he went to go work for the he, Deep Purple started their own record company called Purple Records. And Roger Glover went to go work for the record company. Yeah. He, he stayed in the organization. He just wasn't part of the band anymore. Um, uh, did you have anyway, any no, but I mean, I've got some other things, but they'll probably fit in as you get to where you're going. Okay. Um, so uh, in February, they had some shows scheduled for the U.S. that had to be postponed due to illness. Oh, oh sorry. Well, <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it was an illness, just not that illness. <laughs> <laughs> Is this February 
74? Yes, February okay. 74. Um, and, and shocked, shocked, I tell you, they had to cancel U.S. dates because somebody got sick. No. <laughs> no, who? Who got sick? I mean, who in Deep Purple got sick? <laughs> uh, this time it was John Lord having a case of a, acute appendicitis. Well, that's a pretty damn good reason. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> and, and apparently so did he, you know. So. <laughs> but they did still end up. Yeah, yeah, they, they rescheduled the dates and they, they wound up making them up, so. Um, yeah, because isn't this where uh, they, they flew around in um, the Starship? Yes, yes, yes. I had a note about that. Uh, so the new album uh, as we mentioned was titled burn and was released in europe on february 15th 1974 uh, it mostly received positive reviews with two notable exceptions being uh nme in britain and I can, musical express yeah yeah i, I couldn't I, I cannot remember the express part of that for some reason i always remember the new musical part um yeah so so new musical express in britain and Ooh, uh, i bet I, yeah, yeah. So i can guess the other one <laughs> hmm gee is, i wonder is it is it hmm is it rolling stone maybe uh, yeah not surprised <laughs> bastard <laughs> Um, the album cover featured a front image of lit candles sculpted in the band member's image. Yeah, and they're actually sculpted that way, right? Like they yeah. Just, it's not an artistic, weird photo thing. It's actually candles. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, well, the back image was of the same candles, only extinguished and somewhat melted. Melting! Uh, I'm yeah. melting! <laughs> um, there are eight songs on the album, which... Uh, ties with their first and third albums for the most songs on an album at that point. <laughs> um, I, I went back and looked. None of the Mark II albums had more than seven songs. Huh. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think their second album, uh, the book Tal Taliesin, had seven songs as well. So. Cool. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, Didn't pay attention. The songs are a little looser and somewhat bluesier and funkier than the Mark II material. And Coverdale and Hughes split a good bit of the vocals. They do a good job, too. They do, yeah. Um, album starts with the title track and lead single, which was Burn. Um, and, and back in our episode we did uh, October last year, talked about uh, vampires in literature, and then we did an episode uh, that had uh, The Strange Tale of Nera, which was not a vampire thing. It was an Irish legend, myth. And uh, the the vampire poems. Um, it was it was episode sixty eight for anybody who wants to go back and check it out. So and so anyway, I read this poem uh, titled "The Vampire." <laughs> Several were entitled "The Vampire," um, and, but uh, this particular one was published in nineteen fourteen by Conrad Aiken. And as I mentioned at the time, or I think I did, I, I meant to. Um, the, the poem, this particular poem, reminded me of the lyrics to "Burn." So uh, I'm going to go back and, and read a couple of or a couple of three stanzas <laughs> um uh so the, these are stanzas two through four from the poem uh the vampire by conrad aiken 
What shape was this who came to us with basilisk eyes so ominous, with mouth so sweet, so poisonous, and tortured hands so pale? We saw her wavering to and fro. Through dark and wind we saw her go, yet what her name was did not know, and felt our spirits fail. We tried to turn away, but still, above we heard her sorrow thrill. And those that slept, they dreamed of ill and dreadful things, of skies grown red with rending flames, and shuddering hills that cracked their frames, of twilight foul with wings, and skeletons dancing to a tune, and cries of children stifled soon, and over all a blood-red moon, a dull and nightmare sighs, they woke and sought to go their ways, yet everywhere they met her gaze, her fixed and burning eyes. All right, so that was that was from the poem. Compare that to... The uh, by the way, I like that. Kick-ass. Yeah, oh, I, I love that poem. Um, so, so compare that to... The sky was red. I don't understand. Past midnight, I still see the land. People are saying the woman is damned. She makes you burn with the wave of her hand. The city's ablaze. The town's on fire. The woman's flames are reaching higher. We were fools. We called her liar. All I hear is burn. I didn't believe she was devil's sperm. She said, curse you all, you'll never learn. When I leave, there's no return. The people laughed till she said burn. Warning came, no one cared. Earth was shaken, we stood and stared. When it came, none were spared. Still, I hear, burn. I, one of the things that jumped out at me when I, I actually went back and was reading those, in Aiken's poem, he had that, um, I, I mean, just everything, the whole imagery of, of everything just matches. But, you know, one of, one of the things that stood out was Aiken's poem. He, he said, and shuddering hills that cracked their frames. And then, you know, in Coverdale, <laughs> or in, in, in the song, it's earth was shaken, we stood and stared. You know, it's kind of, you know, I thought that kind of matched up really well. But just overall, just this imagery, you know, of all this devastation from this one, this one woman in there <laughs> yeah <laughs> mm, yes I'm sure she'd say the same about me so you know <laughs> made a, made a... yeah um so the this i'm going to play a sample of the song and i think this what this is going to be one of the, only two samples from this album i'm actually going to do because we're trying to cut down on doing that uh the sample i'm going to play here is, is is a section i just read um and it, it shows how oh. And it shows, you know, like we were talking about with Coverdale and Hughes trading off vocals. And, and you mentioned how well you thought they did doing that. And th this, this shows an example of how well they did, how well they worked as co-lead singers. Most of the lyrics are sung by Co Coverdale. And the lines, all I hear is burn and still I hear burn, are sung by Glenn Hughes with Coverdale coming in to harmonize on the word burn each time. two singers would trade off like that throughout most of the album. Um, sometimes Coverdale being the main singer, 
sometimes Hughes, Coverdale having one song all to himself. Uh, Glenn Hughes doesn't have any words, just him singing. The rest of the songs on the album are Might Just Take Your Life, Lay Down, Stay Down, Sail Away, You Fool No One, What's Going On Here, Mistreated, which was Coverdale's only solo vocal, and the instrumental A200. Sail Away and Mistreated were songs that Blackmore had actually started working on during the Mark II lineup, with Mistreated specifically coming from the Who Do We Think We Are sessions. And if you listen to that episode, you remember I mentioned that Roger Glover said Blackmore would start playing something, but when approached about using it, he would say that he wanted it for a solo album. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, so apparently that was, at, at least one of those songs was Mistreated. And speaking of Richie's solo album, <laughs> the final song recorded during sessions for Burn was a track called, and I'm not entirely sure how this is pronounced, Coronarius Redig. I don't know if that's pronounced right or not. I'm not even sure what language that is. I put that into Google Translate and hit find language. <laughs> and, and, and it was like the first word would come up as Swedish and then the second word would come up as German. And it was like, what the hell? I, <laughs> I don't know what this means. Uh, just don't say it three times yeah. in a mirror with red candles. Uh, okay. Um, it, it's another mostly instrumental track. was used as the B-side to the single, uh, Might Just Take Your Life. And it's interesting because part of the melody would be reused on the song Catch the Rainbow, from the album Richie Blackmore's Rainbow. Now, I don't know if that was something Richie did or if it was something Ronnie James Dio did when they recorded that album, but Richie also bases his guitar solo catch in Catch the Rainbow on that melody. Um, and uh, just so you can hear it, here's Coronarius Redig, followed by a, a little bit of Catch the Rainbow. They toured the U.S., um, as, as James, James mentioned earlier, using the Starship. Um, I, did you have more on the Starship, or were you just going to mention that they did that? 
right, I was just going to bring it up because I will talk about it in the Zeppelin episode. So yeah, that's all I needed. Uh, that, that's so, really yeah, all. That's all you now. Okay. Yeah. I mean, all I was going <laughs> to say was it was a luxury jetliner most associated with Led Zeppelin. A lot of people used it. Uh, Elton John, for example, also chartered it. Okay. Okay. I didn't, did not know that. Uh, I, usually, though, when I hear the Starship in relation to a jetliner, I think, oh, Zeppelin. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, the, anyway. uh, yeah. <laughs> so the set list was, was revamped in favor of the new material. Um, they retained only smoke on the water and space trucking from earlier albums. Um, so really just completely threw everything out except those two songs. The U.S. tour ended on April 6th, 1974 with a performance at the first California Jam Music Festival. Yeah, the Cal Jam. Yeah. They co-headlined with Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Also on the bill that day were Black Sabbath, Black Oak, Arkansas, and the Eagles. Uh, this particular show is infamous after the band... What was the last one? Eagles. Okay. Yeah, like like just Beagle. making sure there was a, just making sure there wasn't a V in there. Well, I, I threw one in there, but I didn't put it in my notes. <laughs> I I know. I'm it just it's, it, it, it just sounds weird to say you know, and Eagles. Eagles. Yeah, it sounds weird to not say the, but you know when you look at their album covers, there's no the in the band's name, <laughs> and there never was. No, but just Eagles. Yeah. I'm going to go see the Eagles. You mean Eagles? Fuck you, James. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, like I was saying, this particular show was infamous after the band gave an already great performance. Blackmore finished it off by destroying not just one, not just two, but three guitars, one film camera, uh, which he destroyed with the third guitar, and his amplifiers set on fire, then pushed over the edge of the stage. Uh, and you had a couple things about the yeah i'll let you tell that <laughs> yeah so i mean it, it, this was where they had their biggest crowd ever estimated at over uh, two hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. but but the best thing is richie's quote about his amplifiers <laughs> <laughs> i thought theatrics are really important to this music i started incorporating pyro into the show in 1968 at the california jam i wanted to do something sensational people have blown the guitar up so i said i'll blow the amp up i told my roadie <laughs> Just pile some petrol on the dummy amplifier and throw a match to it when I point to you. So he did that and put too much petrol on there. And of course, not only did we blow a hole in the stage, one of the cameramen went temporarily deaf. Ian Pace's glasses blew off and half the stage caught fire. (laughs) It looked great, like it was well in control, but it wasn't. The police came after me and I had to jump into a helicopter to be rushed out of the area. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, rock and roll. (laughs) 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 Oh, and there, there is, I mean, um, I, I don't know if it's up on YouTube, that that DVD I mentioned earlier. Um, I think, I think it was, uh, Phoenix rising is, is the name of the release. It's, it's the, the Mark three and Mark four lineups is, is what it was talking about. And, uh, so they, they, I've actually seen some of the footage from the end of the show. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Try looking it up on YouTube. I'm sure it's up there somewhere. It's just fucking, uh, you know, and uh, the thing is I know Sabbath. Um, I, I know there's footage from Sabbath's performance there that's been on YouTube because I've seen it. May have actually shared it to the Facebook page. So I don't, I don't know, but 
Um, I, I do know I've seen some of that uh, Sabbath footage, and yeah, the Deep Purple footage is great. The end of that show is fucking awesome. Uh, so after that, they headed back to Europe and uh, fin- finished up the tour in Coventry on May 29th. Um, <laughs> not not uh, such great theatrics, you know, as, as, as California Jam. But <laughs> well, yeah, well, you can't have that every time, damn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how did it do on the charts? Well, Jody, <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't write all of them down, but I wrote, as usual, the number ones. Mm-hmm. which were the German, Austrian, Norwegian, and Danish charts. Oh, okay. Um, and as usual, I also am going to say is number three in the UK mm-hmm. and hit number nine in the US. So it did really well here. Um, that was better than uh, who do we think we are. Uh, but and that, that, Every time I hear that, I know it's Deep Purple, but I swear that should be the title of a Who album. It should. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually kind of surprised that who didn't use it, you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, Machine Head had hit number one in the UK and number seven in the US, so it didn't, um, so Burn didn't do quite as well, but I mean, it was close in both, you know? It is it is a damn fine album. I, I've, I've been a Coverdale fan ever since I first heard him. I thought, man, this guy's a really great singer. And, uh, this whole album, I, when I when I first got it, um, I was floored by this album. Um, you know, like I said, not going to put a lot of the samples of the stuff in here, but yeah, this uh, I, I highly recommend this album. Um, it Would is, it shock you to find out that "Burn" is my favorite Deep Purple song? No, it would not. Um, it, 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 it is, is a, a damn fine song. <laughs> It is. It's also one of the reasons I'm not into Deep Purple as much as I could be, because I have brought this up before. Mm-hmm. Uh, say, for example, as a young high schooler uh-huh. um, and having older kids in some of the classes make fun of that. Oh, that's not you, man. You should listen to Space Trucking. Space Trucking and Smoke on the Water. Of course they're a good song. I didn't fucking say. But yeah, so they they were rather harsh about it. Which is why I'm like, fuck it, I'd fuck it. I'm not gonna fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great fucking album. I don't I, know why. I, I, I no, it's not Machine Head, but I, I mean, very few albums match Machine Head. I mean, by by other bands, you know. And fuck, I Burn is that's a damn good album. I it is it is one of my favorite Deep Purple albums. I can count the ones I don't like on one finger <laughs> but that doesn't mean they're all my favorite you know um, right just, and, yeah. i actually like the whole album and the actual song burn and this was before i knew eddie van halen burn was like one of his favorite looks i only found that out a few like a few months ago <laughs> yeah doing some of my notes not but no it's a great thing and, i mean yeah. that that riff and and just and and the energy in just that song, and it carries through most of the album. But man, if you don't if you don't hear that opening riff to burn, and it doesn't get you fired up, the two Coverdale lineups, the, the Mark Three and Mark Four, that was the opening number for every concert was burn. And if if that doesn't get your fist pumping and your head banging and, and your ass out of your seat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just, 
you know, every time I hear it, I'm like, yeah, you know, it just, it, it, it gets, it, it hits you, it gets you pumped up, you know, and I'm like, damn. And, <laughs> but yeah, if it, I, I, I highly, highly, highly recommend this album. Um, yeah, I actually do this time without just going, yeah, 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 me too. No, this time. <laughs> it, it is, it is a kick-ass album. It, it is, it really is. Um, mistreated, you know, we've talked about, um, wow, one of, I, I will say one of Coverdale's best vocal performances probably ever it's a great bluesy song and uh he, he talked about um when they recorded that he was the the first the first take they did of it uh, really wasn't that good because he he was so worried about getting it right that he he was overthinking it and he fucked it up and uh i think oh yeah he was so stressed about being yeah and i he wrote like four or five different versions of lyrics to some of the songs in case they didn't like one he could be like well how about this (laughs) yeah yeah um i think i think he even kind of broke down and cried when he didn't get that take right and uh so the next day they went back and and did another take of it and he nailed it by the end of the take so that's you know what wound up on the album and and uh oh it's phenomenal i mean just you know well um i think that's all i got and that's all i got Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> God, <I'm sure> <laughs> <laughs> well in that case um i guess we'll wrap this one up for now yeah so if you haven't told your friends about us yet, please do. <laughs> you know, yeah, people will do that and and, uh, and rate us on, you know, wherever. Yeah. You don't have to give us money, but if you don't mind, I don't know. Yeah, I, in, any of those. Like, if you just want to, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. So, anyway, um, just wanted to start throwing that in. I'm trying to think of a better way to. <laughs> and don't forget to tell your friends about us. <laughs> If you like what you listen or if you like what you hear and you enjoy our show, tell your friends, spread the word, give us a rating. Yeah. I have nothing more to add. Nothing. I mean, I could talk about how Richie Blackmore said, these new people, it's not really Deep Purple anymore. It's got the same name, but it's a different band. Um, uh, Save that for next episode. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or or just, 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 just say it again next episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay <note>. then. Um, <laughs> bong. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave you with that for now. <laughs> I'm James. I'm Jody. <laughs> we'll talk to y'all later. Bye. The Macabre Manor is brought to you by the Twin Terrors. All rights reserved. Stay tuned for some fun outtakes said you want to do doggy style she said no i want to do a cat style then she meowed and scratched my eyes out you spanish inquisition to me <laughs> I, I, I spanish inquisition myself even i wasn't expecting to do an episode on it i'll start to say things like you do and then if it's not in the right spot you can just tell me and i'll ignore you like you do me half the time or i'll wait like you do half the time <laughs> <laughs> how do you like it when it's you asshole <laughs> Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I know you don't. That's kind of annoying. <laughs> that's, that's my job. <laughs> <laughs> you had one job to do. That was to be annoying. <laughs> <laughs>
and you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> My job here is finished. <laughs> I was listening to a couple of YouTube sort of things about uh, Deep Purple, and one of them said that David Coverdale is kind of like a Cinderella story, and now I have to do this. Cinderella story, about <laughs> to become Master's Champion. I, I found something because you're asking about the name of the, the, the uh, Oh, okay. Yeah. Corinarius Redig. Yeah. I found something on a, a discussion board. Oh, okay. What is it? And it was a name possibly they think is a name, a title suggested by Ian Pace, which means return of the coronet. I realized, cause this is about the time where white snake is also, you know, coming out there. Their yeah, biggest yeah. it won't be out for another year or two. Uh, but you know, they're, they're, they're becoming well known. And, so I, I, oh, it's Coverdale. Oh, cool. Oh, this song kicks out. Okay, cool. That's awesome. And of course, then later, quite a bit later, uh, Jimmy Page and David Coverdale come out with an album. Yeah, Coverdale you know, Page. Coverdale Page and Hat Jinx. Uh, uh, you have to shut up till I say your name, Jody. Oh, fuck. Um, <laughs> and I love, so I love Jimmy Page, of course. I've liked David Coverdale since you know, mid-80s at least, you know, oh, some, yeah. whatever in there. And of course, then I have friends. I'm not going to say names, Rich. <laughs> oh, uh, you mean cover plant? You know, fuck you. David Coverdale was performing since 1965, and we're, he was in band since 1966 with that same similar type of musky, husky voice yeah. that make women go, oh, David. I mean, he bagged Tony Katane, which yes. also probably has to do with fame and money. But anyway, oh, yeah. he had that same voice before plant became famous so you don't need a dick when you say he's trying to cover plant that was his thing too he just wasn't quite as famous as quick or as big as robert plant to that end where a lot of that came from was the song still of the night off of white snake's 1987 album and the guitar bowing thing did not 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 help yeah (laughs) because still of the night does sound like it could have been not necessarily a Zeppelin, Zeppelin song, but it, it sounds like kind of a Zeppelin clone. That's the thing a lot of people didn't understand was Whitesnake didn't just come out of the blue. Whitesnake had been around for 10 years by the time that fucking album came out, and they hit it big in the States. They were already big in Europe and the UK and, and right. Japan. Anyway, that's my, my rant. That yeah. I got Jody to rant, woohoo, which yeah. is not a difficult uh, thing uh, to accomplish. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> What show do you rant about? I don't know. We're getting paid. Keep playing. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that was a good one. I'm, I'm going to drink to that. <laughs> <laughs>